It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Johara to Dorkin Cabin. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana. Guaranteed delivery, low-rate APR finance and 48-hour test drive. Exclusively at Blackstone Motors. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie. You're welcome to Late Lunch this midweek Wednesday afternoon. Sorry for uh, the technical difficulties there. We're working away on them as we speak. You're very welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Remember, if you want to get in touch, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text 0419832000 if you'd like to call in. We've a packed couple of hours ahead. And we begin today. Uh, the war in Ukraine has implications for all of us. You know this already. But one of those uh, involves the production of grain crops and subsequently the offshoots of that. News reaching us that uh, there'll be a scarcity of sunflower oil. And don't we all love a bag of crisps of different flavours? There's talk too that it's going to affect the crisp making industry here in Ireland. No oil, no crisps. So what's going on? What's the story? Well, we're going to hear it now from a man that knows from Kyo's Crisps in Old Town in North County, Dublin. It's Tom Kyo with me again. Hello, Tom. Jerry, good afternoon. Great to be talking to you. And great to have you with us on the show. Tom, have I summed it up there okay? There's a big concern about the sunflower oil and supplies? You have, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, basically we have about 90% of the sunflower oil for Europe is produced in Ukraine. Um, fantastic, huge country that produces um, a huge amount of food for Europe. But, you know, in regards to sunflower oil, we are very much exposed to 90%. Um, I suppose what, what, what we have experienced is, I suppose for the first time in living memory, people have said that um, there has been force majeure letters offered on contracts around Europe. Um, so people basically cannot guarantee supply post-July. Um, because I think if you were a farmer in Ukraine, you'd be a brave man to go out and plant crops at the moment. Now, um, I thought on, on the back of that, uh, doing a bit of research on it, it seems as though the Ukrainians are forecasting absolute minimum of 30% reduction in uh, sunflower oil output. Um, this is because it looks as though much of the fighting in Ukraine um, is kind of away from some of the major agricultural areas. Mm. Still saying that they're minimum 30% reduction which is having a knock-on effect on supply and obviously will have a knock-on effect on price. But as it stands today, um, 
uh, everybody I know in the oil industry has removed any contracts past uh, past July of this year. So it's I suppose we're looking at a serious issue here. Um, if you look at a bag of crisps, ten um, percent of that bag of crisps is seasoning, sixty percent is potatoes, and thirty percent is oil. Mm. And uh, it's that thirty percent that. Uh, we basically, at the moment, are told that we're not going to be able to source oil for that. Um, that's sunfair oil. Now, I suppose the industry is looking for solutions. Looking at alternatives, yeah, the, the obvious alternative is, is rapeseed oil, of, of which you, you can see lots is grown in Ireland, the UK and across Europe. However, the, the downshot of that would be the flavour of, of the crisp. It, it gives a completely different flavour to, to a potato crisp. So we'd be quite reluctant to go down that route. And... Um, we're obviously looking around the world as well. Um, you know, there's there some fur oil grown in Argentina, South Africa, US. So we're, we're looking at other solutions there as well. Now, as regards oil and the cooking of crisps in oil, just to uh, explain that to us, how many uses do you get out of, say, you know, a vat of oil and how many times can you use it to, kick, to uh, cook batches of crisps? Yeah, very good question, Jerry. So, so basically, when we're when we're looking at oil and the use of oil, we measure that oil. Uh, it's a score called a free fatty acid score, and basically, the free fatty acid really gives an idea of the oxidati- oxidization within the oil. So, we have a certain score in the factory when we buy oil in. We buy it really, really fresh, and then over time, that oil, because of the the heating process, etc., the free fatty acids build up. And there's a certain point at which we will have to reject that oil. Now, with 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 sunflower oil, it's it's and and with with the potato crisp cooking process, you're always selling oil. As, as I said earlier, about thirty percent of a bag of crisp is actually oil. So you're always selling oil. So you're trying to trying to balance the fresh oil that goes into the into the into the factory versus the oil that's actually sold out in the in the potato crisp. Mm. Sometimes you have to top that up. Uh, to maintain that correct free fatty acid level, sometimes it, it work, works out on, 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 on its own. But it is, it's, a, it's a major ingredient in every single bag of crisps that, that's sold in the country and, and, and around the world. So it's a science in itself, the turnover of the oil, as you mentioned there, and it's mm. monitored closely all of the time. What do you do, incidentally, we were talking about on the show today, or not today, the other day, about domestic oil, what you do with your oil in your fat fryer when it's done. I take it your stuff heads into the recycling. Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. That, that is taken by, by one of the oil handlers here in Ireland. And my understanding is that it can go into cosmetics, and there's also a small biofuel industry here in Ireland as well that's used for that. So it's in high demand and um, it is, is collected and sent for recycling. Yeah. So there, if anyone hugs uh, their beloved in the future and you might get a smell of cheese and onion or salt and vinegar. <laughs> I'm only joking, Tom. I'm only joking. <laughs> you won't, you won't. <laughs> Yeah, all the vinegar lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> but Tom, and back to the crisps themselves. So look, at, you're looking at contingencies. Watch this space. It is evolving, but the, the industry is onto it and they're aware of the potential difficulties. Um, mm. what, what would you do? How would you readjust, you know what I mean, if supply is severely curtailed and you can't make alternatives? Will there just be less crisps on the market? Will it be a shortage? Unfortunately, yes. Like that is the reality. If 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 the oil is not going to be available, and if if things continue to go quite bad in Ukraine, then of course production is going to have to pull back. And 
you know, there's, there's, you probably have to focus on the absolute essentials. Um, as well as that, you have to look at the, at the price increases that we're looking at here as well. Um, so you're probably not going to see as much of as much snack foods promoted in the supermarket as normally you would, uh, because of the pressure that's come on the actual price of these goods. So um, rapeseed oil is a viable alternative, but as as I said, we're reluctant to move there because of the taste properties of the product. But it's it's also quite expensive, you know, um, and it's going to be a very very difficult landscape to manage from a production point of view you now for the next six months or more. In a general sense, when you talk about crisps in Ireland, and, and Kyo's, let's talk about you for a moment. How many bags of crisps would you produce on average in a month? On, on average, we're probably hitting about a million plus per month at the moment. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, I'd say it probably took me three years to sell my first million bags, but, but at the moment we're, we're hitting about a million, a million a month. Um, Irish consumers have been a, a huge supporter of the brand uh, and we were just 10 years old this year. You know, they've been a massive supporter of the brand and about 20% of, of our volume is actually exported overseas, uh, which, which, is, which is fantastic. USA is, an, is, a, is a major market for us. Um, and, you know, as we come out of this COVID pandemic, we can, we can see that all these export markets are starting to open up for us again airline industry is coming back on track, you know, so things, things, things are looking very positive. Um, but as these raw material pressures come, come into the marketplace, you know, it is, it is going to be difficult to manage this moving forward. You mentioned exporting there, and just on that note, uh, we spoke before, it, cheese and onion is the number one, isn't it, here in Ireland? What about, it's average, talked about about 60% cheese and onion yeah. uh, uh, dominates here in Ireland, but not so abroad. Why is it so popular, do you think, cheese and onion here and not elsewhere? That, yeah, that's very true. I think cheese and onion is popular here because it was invented here. Um, right. I think <laughs> no brainer. <laughs> no, yeah, the story goes back to Bud Murphy when, when he was developing potato way back in the day that he was the first guy to come up with a seasoned cheese and onion product. And um, that flavour is it's famous around the world. But as the Irish as a population, we really, we really uh, t- took ownership of it and we love a cheese and onion crisp. But it's, it's, it's very strange because when you, when you taste cheese and onion crisps around the world outside of Ireland, they don't taste anything like the cheese and onion crisps we have here at home. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that there's actually very, very little cheese in our cheese and onion crisps in Ireland. It's actually an onion flavour with a tiny bit of cheese. Mm-hmm. And that's what we know as cheese and onion here in Ireland. But even if you go into the UK and taste a cheese and onion crisp, it is a completely different flavour profile, much cheesier than we would like here, here in Ireland. In regards to the amount that 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 that's sold, um, when we like when we go into the UK or Europe or the USA, our flavour profile completely changes. We have about sixty five percent cheese and onion in Ireland. Overseas, that might be about fifteen or twenty percent. Whereas in America, they they very much go for the you know the the standard likely salted product. They wouldn't be nearly as adventurous when it comes to flavours. And just looking at your portfolio now, <clears throat> excuse me, you have your crispy bits, you're doing popcorn as well. And uh, what about, I, I, I meant to ask you this before, and here's my chance now, the crinkle cuts, are, are they produced yeah. using just a different blade on a machine? Is that, that the way they are sorted out? Well done, Jerry. You know this inside and out. We'll have to have you down. <laughs> yeah, I will, I will, I will. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's very true. It's, it's the same type of machinery. We just take out a straight blade and we put in a crinkle cut blade. Um, it's, it's very difficult to produce a hand-cooked crinkle product because 
you have a cut that gives you quite a quite a quite a harder bite, plus you have a cooking process that gives quite a harder bite from the natural hand cooking. So it's quite a, quite a unique process to try and make that happen. But we produce a really beautiful crinkle product that, as far as I'm aware, it's by far our biggest sell, our biggest growth product. And I think in the Irish market, it's actually the biggest growth product on the Irish market. Really, really nice product. And we just recently launched a flavour there with uh, with the guys in Guinness with a Guinness and Flame Grilled Steak. Oh, lovely. God, that is going to be, uh, I'm sure, in demand when people get their choppers rounded, for sure. So you're innovating. You're looking at flavours all the time. This is an ongoing process. You obviously don't sit on your uh, sit on your laurels, Tom. The other thing is this. Um, uh, you know your multi-packs, and uh, I only discovered this for myself recently. You have your multi-pack crisps, and it applies to all crisp manufacturers with the multi-packs. The bags in the multi-packs are smaller than if you go and buy an individual pack. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Why is that? Maybe it's better for us, isn't it, that they're smaller because we eat the whole bag anyway. Yeah, I suppose a couple of reasons. Firstly, primarily it's because of price. Um, so the, the multi-pack needs to sell on the shelf. You'll probably see them in the supermarket. It's extremely competitive. Some multi-packs would sell six bags for only two euro. And that's a price point that, that you know retailers like to have. So, you know, obviously the bags have to be smaller to achieve that retail price point. Now, um, the other reason is that the actual usage occasion. So in, in a lot of times, multi-packs are actually used for kids. And, for example, our impulse bag is 50 grams that you would buy in the shop on its own. Mm. It's actually quite a large, it's the biggest impulse weight bag on the market. Yes. Quite a large bag. Whereas if you're at home and you just want to give the kids something to eat, maybe after they've come in from school, you know, a 20 gram, 30, or, or multiplex, a 30 gram, a 30 gram bag of crisps is probably enough for them on that occasion. Yeah. So yeah, well, the, two main reasons. yeah, there's a logic in it. I, I see a logic in it as well. I got an awful surprise because somebody bought me one of the bags. I normally have the multis anyway, and I enjoy them. Mm. And you're so right, there's a nice portion in those if they're uh, going out on something or, as you say, for a snack at any time of the day. So the message yeah. is today, watch this space. Uh, you as Kyo's and other Chris manufacturers are monitoring the situation, and it's an evolving one at this stage. And uh, let's hope uh, that uh, there is supply to produce the crisps that we all absolutely love. Tom, thank you for joining us today and shedding light on the situation. You're very welcome. Thank you, Jerry. Have a good day. You too. That's Tom Kyo there from Kyo's Crisps, Old Town in Dublin. I remember when it all began. By God, they've come a long, long way. Oh, we all love living in our own individual towns, don't we? People in Kells and Trim and Navin, Dundalk, Drogheda, RD. I'm sure I left somewhere out there. We all love living in our own towns. Yes, we do. Paddy Casey there with an old-timer, but relevant as ever today and always will be. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Coming up after two on the show, Monacon McGann is joining me. And I'll just read this line to you. Sod of turf. Worth more on the ground than on the fire? Well, is it? Well, we're going to find out with Monacon after two years. A fantastic new series beginning on TG Car tomorrow. And, of course, there's the pros and the cons and the fours and against when it comes to our bogs and peatlands. Looking forward to chatting to him again. And don't forget, I do have my soundtrack after three. It's the jazz singer this week and I have a classic uh, coming from it. What about the tiger? Oh, he's about to roar, isn't he again? Unless you're living on another planet. I suppose there are people, there's lots of people not interested in sport, but he is the biggest draw in sport in the world. There is no doubt about it. 
Tiger Woods will play the Masters. It looks like it. He's playing nine holes today, but it looked like he's going to tee off tomorrow. He has five green jackets. He's won it five times. Can he win it for a sixth time? It'd be a huge ask. He nearly lost his leg last year in a car accident, but the Tiger's back. I was watching him at the press conference last evening. Oh my God, he is my sporting hero. I just think the man is something else. He is unbelievable. I'll be glued to the television tomorrow, Friday, Saturday and Sunday evenings. Don't contact me. I'll contact you. I just want to sit back and enjoy. Will he make the cut? I suppose that'd be a great achievement in the first case. He makes the final two days. Could he win it? He said himself yesterday, I'm here to win. Good on you, Tiger. Anyway, we move on on late lunch towards news and weather at two o'clock. Monocon's with us after two. Stay with us on LMFM Radio. I love this saying, a sod of turf worth more in the ground than on the fire. But try telling that to traditional turf cutters or those employed in the turf extraction industry in the Midlands in Ireland. Well, there's a new series beginning on TG Cahar tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. It's called Unfold Dierenock, The Last Sod, and it'll be presented by Monacon McGann, who's been out and about uh, talking to all of the vested interests in our bogs in Ireland and he joins me on the line. Afternoon, Monacon. Hello to you, Jerry. Good to talk to you again. Great to talk to you. And just before we get into the bogs, congratulations to you. You're on a Nate State 16-day tour of the United States with your wonderful show, Im August Iran. I take it it's going down a bomb this hour though. It is, I got to say, yeah, where I played in Albany last night and then today I'm on my way down to Canton outside Boston and on to Boston College. So, yeah, the idea of them, the audience is like churning Irish butter and then baking bread with, with Irish flour and a bit of American flour and talking about the language. I didn't know it was going to work with people, but somehow it is. The big problem, though, is trying to break the news to them that, that the traditional bread of Ireland isn't soda bread, that it's actually sourdough bread. <laughs> That's even controversial in, in County Loudsbrook. <laughs> I'm sure it is too, but there you go. Anyway, really looking forward to this new series beginning tomorrow evening. And the interesting thing now from my perspective is this. There seems to be, oh, there is, a three-way divide geographically in the country. The turf cutters in the West, the industrial peat processors in the Midlands, and the ecologist, if you like to say, in the East. How did you manage to keep them all on board and uh, work through all all the issues involved. I'm not sure I did. I probably just caused more controversy between them all. But it is. It just shows like the turf has been such a key issue for Ireland for so long. I mean, from the time where we, our descendants, first made the bogs by cutting down the woodlands on top of the hills and then leaching all the soil down, not knowing what we were doing, to then when we were so poor, where, you know, in the 17th century, the 18th century, when the British had got rid of all of our wood, had cut down everything, and we were forced to start burning dirt. Like, you know, turf is the most inefficient form of, of turf, of sort of, of fuel, of heat, to heat us through the winter and to provide cooking fuel. But it was all we had. So it's no wonder we had this amazingly like strong bond with it. It was what this terrible fuel, this terribly inefficient fuel, was what made us, what got us through the winter without perishing and what managed to make us cook food. We didn't need to read raw food. So no wonder we have this strong bond with it. 
And when you think that we have the third largest amount of surviving peatlands in the world, it covers one-sixth of the country here as well, we're pretty unique in, in where we stand. But let's start with the tough cutters. As you mentioned there, digging dirt from the earth, drying it and uh, burning it in the fires, keeping them warm, cooking their food, etc. for uh, centuries. Is it a no-go from your talking to all concerned and I know you were with um, uh, Ming Flanagan and the local TD who's for the peat cutting there as well. Is there any compromise there? I mean, you know, it, like how do we continue to do that? How do we continue just to cut with slans just what we wanted for our own home use? We probably could have con- kept on forever. But as with everything what happened in the 20th century, you know, industrialization uh, kicks in. People think, oh wait, we can actually make profit from this we can exploit the land and just make more and more profit so that not only are we heating enough for ourselves but then we were sending it abroad in the form of uh, potting compost and that's when when those but when the big industrial technology that was invented during world war ii of tracks you know of tanks with tracks on it mm. um it like tracking instead of wheels we were able to bring these massive machines out and so the most frightening thing when you think of turf is that you stand in the midlands in any bog like 60, 70, at least 80 years ago, that was 10 metres higher above our head. Like the 10 metres of surface has been stripped away and now we're standing on some of those 10 metres or often 12 metres lower. So we have we have sucked, we have exploited, you know, more turf out of the land than like the other great things we exploit, I suppose, is water use or fish from the sea. But we've just, you know, we've taken a massive 10 metres sweep thick swathe of land and burnt it yeah as i said you know the, anything else would have been easier to burn so th- what's what changed was that industrialization and the fact that board namona whatever year two years ago said they were going to stop forever changed the book so now the big in you know i suppose that midland board namona argument that's finished because board namona stopped cutting mm. but the big thing is those few remaining turf cutters uh, you know in remote communities who have been doing it as you say for centuries it's become part of a tradition it's harder to tell those people to stop it was their one break during the year to go out in the summertime meet up with the neighbors meet up with the you know teach the kids how to do it and you'd in one party you'd say could we not allow a tradition like that to remain Except that they're no longer using the stands. They're all using the hoppers or the, you know, the, the either or the old sausage machine to cut it up. And when you talk to it in one of these environmentalists from the eastern, from the east side of the of the country, and they start saying how like fifty three percent of all soil carbon stored in the land is in bogs. In fact, that was the number we had in the film. The EPA have now said that two thirds of carbon, two thirds of carbon, so like over six, over sixty percent of the carbon contained in the land in Ireland. It's not in forests, it's in bogs. And as you say, there's only a sixth of the of the land, 16% of the land is covered in peat. That's where all the carbon is. If we want to keep the carbon in the in the ground rather than more of a rising up, we sort of need to stop putting cuts into bogs and need to start blocking up the ditches, the drains in the bogs that are just constantly not only seeping out carbon, but seeping out methane, which is, you know, is 23 times more polluting to the upper atmosphere. So as you say, uh, Borden Amone and the big peat extraction is over. That is for certain. And they're turning to renewables. And you will find out when you watch this programme that uh, those employed have gainful employment in the new way as well, which is fantastic. Are you saying to me definitively that there's no derogation that you can see here, even for the smaller individual turf cutter? It's just all got to stop. Is that your conclusion? 
No, I don't, I'm not saying that. I think because as you say, we do need to be find some compromise. When yes, you, but when, when you put those numbers in context of the carbon, you think, good God, like something needs to stop. But at the same time, you have to respect people who have been practicing this thing forever, who've basically had the independence, the sovereignty to know that they could heat their own homes and they could provide the fuel to you know to for cooking. So either you need to give them enough compensation and not just money it needs to be like I said, like you, you meet a turf cutter in Roscommon or in Donegal and they'll say like we can't heat our houses with these new heat pumps the new mm. fancy ecosystems the amount of insulation that would require in those old houses so if the government is really going to put in that rule of outlawing, outlawing it entirely they'd need to be finding the funds for like deep retrofit for those houses so that they could be then heated in a different in a different form in a more ecological form so I think there's a lot of discussion still to go. But for us as a mainstream public, the key thing we need to do is learn to appreciate our bogs. Mm. Like for, for centuries, for thousands of years, we were just scared of the bogs. And rightly so. You know, they are vicious places. If you don't know your way to a fully wet bog, you know, this, I mean, the holes you can fall into. We all know, probably, I know people in the, in, around me in Westmead who have spent a night in a bog hole trying mm. to claw their way out. We thought it was their last hour. And the thing is, most of us don't know bogs anymore because we know drained bogs. We know bogs with heather on them. And a bog with a heather on it isn't a real bog. A bog should be almost a swamp. Like you look, you go to Clara Bog in Offaly, it's half water, half soil. You never know when you put your foot, are you going to go drown right into it? Mm. But if we, if we really did re-wet our bogs and had those wet places, they become perilous, but they also become beautiful because they're a bit of wilderness. And Ireland has no wilderness. Like Scotland has wilderness. North America, where I'm traveling to now, has vast tracts of wilderness like Yellowstone. The bogs could be our wilderness if we if we decided to rewet them and make them this tourist opportunity, this last wild place that we'd have these raised tracks, these boardwalks running through them so that we'd have a way of accessing all the unique insects and wild flowers and plants that grow on them. Mm. Uh, and I, I'm laughing and smiling to myself here as you mentioned the bog holes but I've been driven from bogs I don't have to remind you summer's evening and the midges oh my god the eating they'd give you for such tiny little things you couldn't but get out of the place uh, running for, for your life and of course you did and you do meet Aenany Launa in this series and when I read about, you know, uh, the flora and fauna and the wildlife that inhabits our bogs, it's amazing, Manicon. Yeah, and I mean, Anne is great because she's so no-nonsense. You know, I was telling Anne about how I'd be meeting bog, uh, like traditional turf cutters in Connemara and up in Kerry and out in um, Coulé in, in Cork and had the traditions and the stories they were telling me. And she was saying, Asher, Asher, nothing, rub, rubbish to all that. She was saying, that it's all only being bitten with midges. And she says, and what about, she says, what about, why is no one crying about, like they were no longer saving hay into ricks, you know, with the side, or were no longer, you know, uh, steeping leather into vats to, to, mm. to, to tan it. Like all of those old traditions, they went away. They all had songs with them. They all had different customs and traditions, but there was no, they were no longer relevant to the world. And she says, equally turf cutting, is uh, is sort of for her. She was having no. She was having no time with the idea that there was a tradition worth saving. She says it was just an old pastime that was done by by the poor because we had no other option. Um, but you're right. She was really focused on all of these unique plants. These the 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 bog cotton, the bog rosemary, the particularly the sphagnum moss. This magical moss that can you know soak up more liquid than any other natural plant in the world and has all of these antibacterial 
uh, products. Do you remember during World War One and World War Two, there was vast collections of the sphagnum moss on the on the bogs of Ireland to bring over to the front to the to the to the war to, to the soldiers in Europe. Yes, because it has this 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 as I said, microbiome sort of antimicrobial uh, content. Com- ability that nothing else has and like we're now in april and my greatest meeting was up in a woman margaret kitty Vriel, a herbalist up in donegal who learned she specific she sort of she, she focuses particularly on the bog plants of uh, on the herbal remedy remedy plants in the bog and she got the information from her mother and her mother got it from her grandmother and her big thing is the bog bean this long stringy plant that grows in bog pools that you boil it into water and it's as bitter, bitter, <coughs> bitter as hell. But she says it'll cure any illness in you in April. But particularly it cures, and this is proven now, it cures um, that thing of the extra iron in people's bodies, the hemochromatosis. Yes. Which, you know, is this thing that inflicts the Irish. She says it'll cure you. You take that over season because it actually sucks the iron out of the body. Mm. Oh, amazing. And, and the stuff that is there and, and, and in our midst for, for years and years and that people like her know about. When you mention um, the, the whole area of wilderness, and we don't have a lot of it in Ireland, I see potential, Monacon, here down the road with the restoration of bogs. And it's a big task and big ask where a lot of depth has been dug out, metres down into the ground to do that, and it's going to take a long time. But isn't there potential for a tourism angle to this. Now, a safe one, not falling into bog holes. <laughs> like, Ethiopia, uh, sorry, no, Estonia now, their prime tourist product is their bogs. <clears throat> and they have these little canoes that you go out and, you know, it's sort of half solid, half water. So you're sort of almost pushing the canoe as much as you're paddling it. But you just out in this wilderness, you're obviously you have your good lot of, of mid spray on you to protect you. But the thing is, it could be very profitable because not only are you getting profit from that tourism, and I suppose you know that's you're not going to get wild Atlantic ways numbers of tourism, but you don't want it in a wild area. But you're also getting paid. You know the way there's this carbon payment per ton of carbon stored. Mm. So let's say there's still. I mean, Ireland is unique. The fact that we have twelve meters deep thick car, uh, t- um, bogs. So. For that 12 metres, every tonne of that is entitled to money on the international market from carbon storage. If we can guarantee, we can guarantee the carbon is being stored because it's a pristine bog. We've blocked up all the um, all the ditches. So every year, we're Ireland Inc. is getting money from that guaranteed carbon storage, just like a rainforest would. But actually, a bog captures far more carbon than a rainforest. And you can imagine why, because you look at the rainforest, well, it's half trees and leaves and the rest is air, is space between them. Mm. A bog, that 12 metre solid, thick, massive bog is just pure carbon. So we get money from that. And then, as you say, there'd definitely be money from tourism. And it'd be a particularly type of like really, really a, a type of tourism we can be proud of. A type of poor tourism where people are going to see these in in unique endemic species of of um, red grouse and grey partridge and birds that, that don't appear anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And as I say, all of these wild herbal plants. Um, and we could talk about them. We keep all the folklore and the traditions and the songs that went with them alive because we'd be telling people the stories as they as they as they came and spent money in these rural areas. These yes. non um, sort of non-spectacular, you know, w- w- areas like the Wild Atlantic Coast. It'd be the areas around me, around Roscommon, around Westmead, around Longford, around Louth. Um, and like my favourite bog, probably of all, 
is Gurley Bog ah, in yes. County Mead, yes. yeah, outside Kells. Yeah. And the most phenomenal thing about Gurley Bog, first, it's kind of, you know, there's a boardwalk around it so you can walk around it. Some bits are very wet, but there was a big, there was a spruce forest, as we see on so many of our bogs. You know, you can see spruce forest planted there in the 40s or the 50s or the 60s. There was a spruce forest on it, and it was cut down about five years ago. And if you go if you go back there to, to to Gurley Bog now, you'll see what looks like almost virtual pristine bog. Like there is heather on it, so it shows it's a little bit dry. But after five years, they read they dammed up the ditches again, so the water levels rose naturally just from the rain of a few winters, and you've got bog back where you had a spruce forest just five years ago. Yes, so it, it can happen very quickly. It, it, it can be done for sure. Oh, you've really wet our appetite. If we give the pun for the new series starting tomorrow night, eight o'clock. On TG Car for four episodes on Fold Jerenock, The Last Sod with Manicon McGann. Just before you go, as an aside, my producer Louise has been in my ear just to tell you that archaeologists Matthew and Geraldine Stout found evidence of a sourdough bakery during a recent excavation at a Cistercian monastery site at Bobek, just outside Drogheda, going back centuries. So there's one for you, Monacon. You're right, sourdough is the bread of the Irish. That's astounding. Oh, I'm going to research that further. Jerry, yeah. thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah. Not at all. Lovely to talk to you. Good luck with the tour. Talk to you soon, Monacon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Monacon McGann speaking to us from the States where he's on tour with his show there. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bugs of Ireland, you can't bait them. <laughs> Prince and the most beautiful girl in the world on your late lunch this Wednesday afternoon. Just reminding you if you're a job seeker graduate or simply looking to change jobs or relocate, the cross-border jobs recruitment and apprenticeship event is taking place at the Fairbies Hotel in Dundalk tomorrow Thursday morning between 10am and running into the early afternoon 2 o'clock. It's open to all sectors but will focus on construction retrofitting, green technology and the digital sectors so if you're interested in finding out what opportunities are available then drop in and have a chat with the relevant people that's tomorrow the Fairways Hotel Dundalk between 10 and 2. Be there. 
Crisps Louise, we were talking to Tom Top of the show. It is true, and and, I, and he did say it there. I, I never realised that. The cheese and onion crisp was invented in Ireland. So, you mm. know, that's why it's so popular here. 60% of the market, isn't it? Has it anything to do with the crisp sandwich, do you Has think? to be. You can't have another crisp sandwich with any other flavour. just doesn't taste right, does it? I don't think so. And I, I actually think you're on the money there mm. for sure. Uh, I remember the first time I ever saw somebody having a crisp sandwich and I might have mentioned this before. It was the late Sheikh Connor, a lot of merch in him, uh, that I worked with in the Central Statistics office and it was back in 1979. Now we love crisps, mm. Jesus, we ate bags of them but I never saw anyone putting them into a sandwich till I saw Shay. Shay just buttered the bread and put the crisps in and munch, munch, <laughs> munch. You know the munch yeah. when, when you <clears throat> straight into them. That was the first time I ever saw it and by God. And you know what, Louise? I love to have a crisp as well on the side with a sandwich. Mm. And, and loads of people like put put the crisp sandwich, but add cheese and mayonnaise yeah, and everything else yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I plain. You just like crisp, butter and bread, is butter it? Butter and bread, yeah. Soft yeah. bread. Yeah, they're nice and you can, actually, you're right, you can put them into any any type of sandwich mm. anyway, but the cheese, cheese and onion is king. And I think, I mentioned king. <laughs> The ki- yeah, yeah, and you know what? I don't think a cheese sam, uh, sam or sorry, crisp sandwich tastes the same with you know the crinkle crisps. No, no, no it has to be the ordinary yeah. bug standard. And I did try crisp. smoky bacon once, and no. <clears throat> Anyone else love a different type of flavour crisp in your sandwich? If you do and you've come across anything unique or different, let us know. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text us to the show this afternoon. Salt and vinegar with chips. Chip sandwich with salt and vinegar crisps in it. Oh, that no. might be nice. Did you ever try it? No, but it just came to me. <laughs> We're in know. East Coast Cookery School this afternoon <laughs> with Louise Walsh. <laughs> and her zany tastes. <laughs> Tell them about your pizza taste. <laughs> I'm not the only one. Tell them about your penchant for what? I'm not mad about pizza. Okay. But I will eat it if it, you know, if the kids get it or whatever. I'll have a slice if I put loads of mayonnaise on the top of it. <laughs> Your mayonnaise on anything is lovely. Mm, it's lovely on pizza. <laughs> I'll fire mayonnaise into adding baked potatoes, your sambos, anything at all, it, it adds to it. But I've never heard of anyone dousing their pizza. It's lovely. With mayo? Mm, fabulous. Hellman's. Something for you to try. God, she's full of suggestions on the foodie front this afternoon. <laughs> Everyone will be sick. Our Louise. Sick out there. <laughs> All healthy and the best for you, of course. <laughs> Mar, yeah. Anyway, next up. Oh, God. I'm, I'm Now I'm worried. We have the doctor next. I hope she's not listening to your pizza and mayonnaise concoction there. <laughs> anyway, Dr. Kate McCann is with us next. Do a lap at the building now. <laughs> we are talking something that interests myself and Louise for sure. Hangover. Stay with us on Late Lunch. Our doctor, Dr. Kate McCann. Can is on the line. Afternoon, Kate. Hi, how are you? I'm really good. Thanks for joining me again. We're talking alcohol and hangovers with you this afternoon. Can I say something to you? Is the best way to avoid a hangover not to drink? It is indeed. It's simple as that. <laughs> but Kate, we all like a tipple, as you know, to uh, yes. uh, one degree or another. And look, that's not a, a practical solution for an awful lot of people. So let's begin from the point, what's reasonable? What, what you know, is uh, a level of alcohol you can consume, say, in a, a session when you go out for a meal or out for an evening or whatever, that won't leave you with that little hammer banging in your head the next day? The, the international and HSE guidance it would be to stick always for, for everything, whether you're just looking after your health 
or whether you want to avoid a hangover is to stick to the guidelines for low risk drinking. And it's, it's really surprising that, that most adults in Ireland, by most I do mean that 98% of, Ireland, of Irish adults, when they were surveyed, didn't know what low risk drinking amount was. Mm. Um, so it is worth talking about. So, it's, it's, so basically, it's definitely no more than six drinks in a night for anyone. Now, those are standard drinks. Are you talking about six pints there or six yeah, half pints? Yeah, standard drinks, absolutely. So, so a, pint, uh, a, a pint is two standard drinks. Okay. Your liver can only handle one standard drink an hour. Okay. So, on a, on a, a safe night... Three pints mm-hmm. or if you want to get them in half portions, you're probably better buying them by the buying for value with the cost of it now. <laughs> Three pints spaced out over a period of time is fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's absolutely maximum. Um, and then we're talking it'd be it'd be less again for women. And um, you we want to say we want to be under that six. I mean, for women, we definitely would want to be between three and five standard drinks in an evening out. For men, we definitely want to want to be capping it at, at six standard drinks. OK, so you're talking about maybe a couple of glasses of wine for a woman. Yep, small glasses. Small and, glasses. And, yeah. and and that will leave you in uh, fine fettle the next day. Should you, you know, the, the, the talk of hydration, that, you know, when you yeah. go home in the evening, drink a pint yeah. of water before you go to bed. Is that a misnomer or is it true? Well, I mean, you're going to want fluids. You're going to be, be dehydrated. But, I mean, you could just add on any of the... Uh, of the urban myths here, you know, you go ahead and eat something, you know, for the soakage. You hear people talk about the soakage before, the soakage after, and, you know, whether or not, you you know, you need sugar or you need fluids, you need electrolytes or you need fluids. I, I mean, you, you, the reality is, is that the next day you're going to need fluids, you're going to need a little food. Some people get a little bit of low blood sugar. You're, you may need to take something for your your headache, but um, you're, you're just kind of easing the symptoms, mm. you know, as the best you can hope for. Um, but the damage is done. The damage you've done from drink and by the time you have a hangover, the damage you've done from drink to your health is there. Mm. And we can't undo that damage. And you'll see all these products out there, whether it's, it's, it's a service like an IV drip or whether you see a supplement or a vitamin or, you know, uh, something telling you or a tea or a coffee telling you you can like, detox. And, and you just can't do that. OK, so that's a misnomer, this thing of mm. detoxing, taking yeah. vitamins, uh, you know, the cleanses, smoothies. You mentioned yeah. soakage there, food yeah. as well. If you over indulge and you go mm-hmm. over the safe limits, as you say, none of yeah. that is any use. And not for, not for not for improving your health or okay. undoing the effects of the of the health damage from that. Okay, and the next day, regardless of what you do, mm-hmm. there is an impairment. I have seen you writing about this. You are impaired, whether you like it or not. Yeah, and this is and this is something that's really not talked about enough. I mean, you have people talking about checking your blood alcohol the next day or making sure, and which is fine. But in studies that have been done, and they they did really interesting studies. They studied um, they studied people driving. They studied um, pilots on a simulator machine. They studied skiers over some different studies, and they found out that that up to 16 hours after the blood alcohol went back to zero. So you have the night before the alcohol is out of your system. Your blood alcohol is zero. Four about four hours after that. They still had impaired reaction time, um, coordination, perception, um, 
it's so I mean, it, it does it does have a knock on effect the next day, mm. and it, we we know that from an economic model. I mean, workforces will know this for sure. Is that you know you've got that the, the morning after that next day, your productivity is down, your error rate is up, your absenteeism is up, your injury rate on something like a construction site is going to be up. If you have someone who's who's suffering the after effects of alcohol, okay, so even, alcohol, even their blood alcohol is, is down to zero. Yes, yeah, so you're, what you're saying is, besides the physical harm we're doing to our bodies, yeah. there are big economic knock-on effects as well that employers Huge. and and workplaces are, are seeing. Um, have you ever come across a magic bullet for a hangover? No. It's not, it doesn't exist. That's it. End of story. It does not exist. And that's the message today. Are there certain type of alcoholic drinks that are worse and will give you a, a more severe hangover than others? Yeah. I mean, there's, 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 but again, the thing has to be underlined here is that it's the volume mm. is always going to be the biggest thing. Like if you over, if you overindulge, it doesn't matter what you're drinking, you're going to have problems. But it, but all things being equal, there's a, some certain types of the process of fermenting and creating the alcohol product. So we think of things like um, brandy, wine, um, darker spirits. They have um, byproducts in there. We call them congeners, or it's just a byproduct of the fermentation process. But when those are present in those types of alcohol, they're associated with with more it's kind of a, a more side effects. So things like giving you a headache in some people. But again, the real the, the real difference is in the volume rather than in the type of alcohol. Why do hangovers get worse with age? You know, I, I'm not entirely sure with that one. Um, I'm going to just guess that, like everything else, um, as we age, our ability to bounce back from anything slows down as we age. Mm, and that that applies to so many things in life. You're right, it does, Kate. It, it does. You know, you look at it. You know, you look at the the. Uh, you just head on down to the GAA pitch and look at the at the under 16s, the under 17s play, and then look at the at their dad's group play, and they coming off the pitch. And um, which one will be feeling it more the next day? Yeah. Probably going to be the dad's group. Mm, it's, it's, uh, as we as we age, we do just bounce back a little bit slower. Now, hydration is the key, isn't it? You'll always say that if you're in trouble at all, water, water, water. Get lots on board. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you don't, you, you can't drown yourself out of it. I mean, <laughs> yes. you're going to be bit dehydrated afterwards. But um, yeah, I mean, you t- you're going to take your fluids and you're going to get your rest. You're going to you know, eat some good food. You're going to promise you'll never do it again. Um, but, the, you know, the, 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 the weird statistic with that is that the worse the hangover, the more likely you are to overindulge again. Uh, you know, I'm smiling here. My late dad was a great one for that one. He'd have won too many. He'd say never again. But the next night or the next weekend, it'd be back to square one. It doesn't work. We have no resolve, have we? Well, this is the thing is it depends on level of resolve. And this is where we we very in it there we do have a really unhealthy relationship with alcohol in this country. And you know, there's a difference between someone who chooses to overindulge. Uh, and then there's people who just who are have maybe lost control over the mm. overindulgence, mm. and and it, and you know it, it's and um, it's something that you know doctors try and get patients to examine, and sometimes uh, we have to go through it with them, you know, when they've come in with an alcohol-related complication, and we have to kind of examine with them or their relationship with alcohol. So you, Anna, you've lots of international experience. No matter what way we try to dress it up, we have a big problem in Ireland. You know, Irish Ireland and the drink and the Irish and the drink is still a thing. 
I think it is. And I, I think the real thing is that um, internationally, you know, binge drinking is considered alcohol misuse. And here it's it's kind of a culturally acceptable way of consuming alcohol. And, you know, binge drinking is accept- is 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 related to health harm. It's a harmful way of drinking for, it's not what our bodies can take. Mm. And, it's, and, it's, and you're going to lead down the road, it's repeated binge drinking. It leads to everything from liver disease, heart disease, and mental health problems, and a whole list of other problems. We have questions coming in from listeners. Um, does adding uh, mixers to spirits reduce the alcohol effect? I think, again, it's back to volume, isn't it, Kate? It's volume. I think I'd say all those those things you have heard about slowing your drinking down. So if you're going to add a mixer in to slow your drinking or pace it or, you know, alternate an alcoholic with a non-alcoholic drink throughout the evening, anything that slows your drinking and overall reduces the amount you're consuming in the evening is going to help your health and obviously eliminate or reduce your hangover. Mm, another one there. Jerry, a good fry up the next morning. You can't beat it. It's always been my saviour. You know, again, everyone's going to have their their urban myths or things that really work for them. But I mean, the the reality is, is that why we're easing the symptoms, we're not undoing the damage. Somebody wants to know why one number for men and another for women? Is it really based simply on weight and body size or is there something else involved? The short answer is, is is weight is a factor, but it's not the whole thing. There's actually a biological difference in in how the alcohol is metabolized and broken down between men and women. It's just uh, you know it it isn't fair. It's one of the, not one of those uh, things you can legislate for more equality. It's just the way biology is, unfortunately. I take it it's good to have alcohol-free days and a number of them in mm. every week, Kate. Yeah, so the HSC and International Low Risk Drinking Guidelines would say at least um, two alcohol-free days per week. So um, the low risk would be less than 11 units a week for women, um, less than 17 units a week for men. And when you're looking at those units a week, you're obviously then you're not binge drinking, you're not saving up all those units and (laughs) drinking them all once on one night, and that at least two nights in that week you're alcohol-free. Mm, that's an important point to make. Interesting indeed, and I'm back to where I nearly began. <clears throat> Moderation mm. and uh, taking days off is right, and doing the best possible to stay within those limits is the best advice, because, uh, yeah. you know, consistent, overindulging, well, you're right, it's just uh, filling up consulting rooms, hospitals, etc. And on that, I see you're opening new rooms. Uh, well, I'm I'm joining an established uh, clinic in city centre. So, yeah. Very good. I wish you well with that. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, what about your next walk for the do- with the doc? When is that happening? Um, that is happening on the 24th of April, so last Saturday of this month. We're meeting again, 10 a.m. in Ashburn. Um, the the details are, are on my social media, and I'll be posting a little bit more on that on the website as well. But everyone is welcome. It's free, no pre-registration. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a nice nice walk now with the weather getting better and we, we'd love to see everyone down there MDoc Health check her out across social media and you'll find out more about the next walk on the 24th of April very interesting really enjoyed our conversation today until next month Dr Kate McCann thank you so much for joining us you're very welcome thanks so much bye 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 there you have it that's the story with the old demon drink
take it or leave it you're better taking that advice on board and I mean that myself and sure at times I haven't been good I know that but as we age that is true it's more difficult to get over the effects if you have anything to say if you want to comment 086 1800 658 WhatsApp or text me now to the show comments on late lunch a bale of briquettes will cost 7 euro from May says a listener that is expensive hi Jerry. the man talking about the bog mentioned a cure for hemochromatosis in the bog there is we'll get back to you on that one I'll just go back to it and listen again that is a fact hi Jerry. I'm a 67 year old widow I'm living in my home since I got married at 20 so it's relatively old house I have a solid fuel cooker which I burn tarfin I have no other means of heating my home or cooking I'm surviving on the old age pension so if I'm stopped from burning turf there's no way I can afford to put in a new heating system so as far as the government are concerned I can die from the cold or hunger at least I'd be one less claiming the old age pension, says Nula. Very well put, Nula. I hear what you're saying. Hi, Jerry. I'm with Louise, not a lover of pizza at all. And it's sacrilege to eat anything other than cheese and onion in a sandwich. Dead right too, my kind of person. Ah, there you go. There's mm. other type of people like you there too, I see. Yeah, there's somebody mm. not happy with you, Jerry, either. Yes, spoiled sport. <laughs> 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 a listener in Mead says, that, Come on, Jerry, there's nothing I like better than a lock of pints after a hard day on the bog. You're not giving us a chance on the late lunch today between stopping the bogs and cutting out drink. Mm. <laughs> anyway, after lock of points, you'll have two hard days on the bog. One the day you're on the bog, and the next day you're sitting on the bog. Let me tell you. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, I see Magella's back. What's Magella saying to us today, Louise? Magella. <laughs> Ooh, my partner loves eating cream crackers, ham and cheese spread, tomato and salt and vinegar crisps in it. Mm. Yes. A lot like, of crumbs, though. We like the sound to that odd Magellan. Look after the crumbs. There's no doubt about that. Shake the vinegar into the bag of cheese and onion crisps or HP brown salts. It's Wire. lovely, she says. HP. I'm in the YR camp. HP. YR. Make beans. <laughs> They're the beans for me. Chef. Chef brown sauce. Chef. HP, YR is lovely. I love the mm. three of them, to be honest with you. I think you should mix in a little portion of each of them into a cup and then you get the best <laughs> of all worlds. Anyway, we're heading towards news, weather and sport at three. My soundtrack is coming up afterwards. And back to that time capsule on the census form. Different angle on it all together. But taking us to top of the hour, three o'clock on your late lunch this Wednesday. It's Miss Debbie Harry and Blondie with an absolute cracker. Oh, Debbie Harry, Debbie Harry, I love you, I love you still, always love you. Oh, Joan, thank you. You've sorted out, hasn't she, Louise? Hasn't she sorted? Joan's just everything. sorted everything in one WhatsApp to the show. OK, let's I'll begin. I'll tell her all my problems later. <laughs> Joan, <laughs> Louise is on your case. You better have all the answers. Whisked raw egg and milk or eggs before you go drinking. Uh, whisked, whisked raw egg, milk and banana the next day or eggs before you go drinking. A lot of eggs there, mm. Louise. Uh, for I love the eggs. Did Any ever, kind of eggs, I wonder. I know, you're a neggy-holic. She's a neggy-holic. She is, absolutely. <laughs> Did you ever try it before taking a drink or after, like no. Joan suggested? There you go. That's one I to wonder, be suggested. I wonder, can I be any kind of eggs, though? 
Not Cadbury's cream no. eggs. No, 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 no. I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're thinking. No. Hen eggs. Hen's eggs is what you're talking about. Water before bed, Joan says. They'll all help with the hangover. Now, the midgets. I was talking to midgets. Were you ever in a bog and the midgets yeah. attacked you? Oh, jeez, I'll tell you. For such a little thing, they give you an awful nip, don't they? They really do. My father used to always, when, when he, my father smoked, so he always lit a cigarette. Oh, that'd keep them away mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, myrtle spray. Myrtle spray, says Joan, because they don't like the myrtle tree. One time I went fishing in the west of Ireland to a little boggy lake where I knew there was a few trout. Well, I nearly ran mad mm-hmm. out of the place. I had a midget spray on me, but Louise, I could hear them going. <coughs> they loved the spray. They were eating the spray <laughs> and me. The it was midgets. like links to the it midgets. did. Links to the midgets is right. And myrtle spray. Thank you for that. And the flowers. We're talking about the Viagra keeping the flowers up. Joan says, cut an inch off the bottom. Didn't I say that? Yep. Of the stalk. Uh, put them into boiling water for five to six minutes and the heads will just raise back up. So the boiling water probably shocks them and, and <laughs> the, the heads come up. Never mind the Viagra. And use sugar to keep fresher for longer. There you go. Joan. You're a mind of information. Sort it out with Joan. We must start something like that on the show. Brilliant. Thanks indeed for all that uh, lovely information there, Joan. We do appreciate it. Now, The Jazz Singer is my soundtrack this week. And the idea for remaking The Jazz Singer came from the success of the remake of A Star Is Born, which, of course, starred the wonderful Barbara Streisand. Producer, uh, the producer saw Neil Diamond performing and decided he was the man to sing and fill the lead lead role in The Jazz Singer. Negotiations took time because, you see, Warner Brothers and United Artists both claimed ownership of the original movie rights. Diamond, you know this, nearly lost the role because of a back surgery with Barry Manilow considered as a replacement. What about that? Jacqueline Bissett was uh, approved to play the female lead but looked for too much money. Lucy Arnaz got the gig as Molly Bell with Laurence Olivia playing Cantor Binovitz and the dad, of course, of Diamond himself. Olivia, incidentally, for that role was paid a million dollars for 10 weeks work. Wow, not bad if you can get it. Filming began on January the 7th, 1980 and all was wrapped up by year end for release in December of the same year. As I've mentioned already, the movie was panned by the critics, receiving an awful rating of just 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. Thank God for the soundtrack and songs like these. Love on the rocks Ain't no surprise Just pour me a drink And I'll tell you some lies Mr Neil Diamond And Love on the Rocks Say that's been sung a lot of times All over the world When it comes to relationships For sure, Love on the Rocks Anyway, we'll have more in music and words from the jazz singer tomorrow on Late Lunch, my featured soundtrack. Now, final break of the day on the way and afterwards we'll be joined by Amy Doodle-Wall. She's been a guest of ours on the show on a number of occasions and with the census form being completed or should have been completed last Sunday night and that time capsule element of uh, the uh, completion to be filled out if you wish or if you don't wish to, Amy has come up with a very interesting way 
of remembering somebody very special. Stay with us on Late Lunch. An awful tragedy, Eslyn Wall. She was only three when she was killed in March 2017 and her dad, Vincent, was seriously injured in a road traffic accident. Subsequently, the truck driver was convicted of careless driving, received a suspended sentence and a small fine. And we've spoken to her a number of times in the past since and I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch uh, Eslyn's mom. Amy Doodlewall. Hello, Amy, again. Hi, Jerry. How are you? It's lovely to speak to you again. And me to you, too. Now, the reason you're with us today is it's census time, as we know, and it was to be completed on Sunday. Some people, I'm sure, are still filling out the <laughs> census form. But this particular, <coughs> excuse me, section, section of the form uh, we've spoken about recently on the show, the time capsule, and people are writing down this, that and the other. I completed it myself. I think it was just, I was wondering about things, but I put something into mm-hmm. it anyway. But you've come up with a very, uh, I really love this idea. Tell our listeners what you've done. Yeah, so um, obviously we were filling out the census on Sunday night and, you know, it was very apparent that there was one person missing in our household that we weren't able to record um, but then you get to the time capsule section and it's just basically like, write what you want. And both myself and Vinny knew that we had to talk about us and there was absolutely nothing else that would be as important for us to record. But to mention that she lived and she lived between the two senses, so she never got to be counted. Um, and that just for future generations to know that she existed and, and that we loved her. So that's what we decided to do. I simply adore what you've done. It's fantastic. And, and I take it what you've written is personal to yourselves. Yeah, definitely. Like we, you know, we just wanted to say that um, when we're thinking of counting people in our in our house, like that there was definitely someone missing and that that person is missing from our lives every day and and yeah that we just wanted to be able to record the fact that she she was alive and she did count and she mattered and she's very missed and just describe her a little bit we wrote a few uh little words about what she was like and just to tell her that we we love her and it just gives me so much comfort to think of a century from now someone being able to read that and find out who who she was and to think about her again. It's just such a lovely thing. It is the best use of the time capsule that I've heard. Ah, thank you, Jerry. No, it is. It's just so touching, so so brilliantly thought of. And, and you know something? I think you've opened up a conversation here because this is sort of a one-off that's happening this census. Maybe they will do it again. But isn't it a fact that are pe- there are people who are not recorded from one census to the next. This yeah. is something that's missing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was incredible to see the response that I got on Twitter. The tweet went far and wide. And nearly everyone, you know, from Australia, the UK, Canada, saying how important this is for every census, just to be able to record those little pieces that are more than just a name and a birth date. Um, how important it is for future generations to be able to look back on. So, you know, it absolutely is a brilliant idea that I think the Irish Census has decided to do this year. And I do hope it's included in future ones and that other countries around the world decide to do the same thing.
Mm, it shows you it resonated with so many people all across the planet here. Now, you have two little people, Mannix yes. and Lucy, who are included. Yes, yes. And nice to be able to include. And Mannix, was Mannix born when, or were you expecting Mannix when uh, Eslin lost her life? So Mannix was not quite three months old ah, when yes. the crash happened. Yes. So he was just a tiny little baby. Mm-hmm. He's over five now. And he is a very rambunctious little boy, <laughs> lots of energy. Um, but, you know, he knows so much about his sister and he talks about her himself. He brings her up a lot and will say that he misses her. And it's just so lovely. You know, we can't wait for Lucy to kind of have the same feelings towards her, hopefully, as she gets older and mm. understands more. Only just this week, she started going around the house and pointing at pictures and saying, Essie, Essie, ah. pictures of Eslin. So, it's, you know, it's lovely to be able to keep her present in our everyday and to also just, yeah, record her like that for future generations to find out who she was. Do you see aspects of Eslin and Lucy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're both... Um, they're both uh, full of energy and mischief and all of that. And the same big blue eyes, all, all three of the children have mm. kind of very similar features. And um, yeah, we're just, we're so blessed to have had all three of them. I'm looking at a picture of Eslin here in studio as I speak to you. She was beautiful. She was just simply beautiful. Oh my God. And you've done something marvellous I say it again I'm just uh, bowled over by it and I want to just have a quick word with you today and bring it to our audience here what you've done you've done really good I have to say Amy and uh, you're a strong woman who's come through so much and has to deal with this day on day right through your life now and into the future but well done well done again Thank you Jerry. I'm I'm always so privileged that anyone wants to hear our story and, and learn about Lesson Eslin. So, you know, any any opportunity to share her, I, I will take it. So thank you so much for giving me that chance today. Not at all. You're always welcome. Take care of yourself. Bye bye, Amy. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Amy Doodlewall there. What a marvellous, marvellous idea, I have to say. That is well done to her. That's a lot on late lunch this Wednesday afternoon. Tomorrow, an old friend returns. Well, she's young at heart. Monica McInerney is back in Ireland after what we have to say is an eventful two years in Australia, in her home, but she's back in Dublin where she lives with her husband. Escargot, yes, snails, Peter Monaghan is producing thousands and thousands of them. We're going to talk to him tomorrow. Tina McGrain trained her 1,000 winner. She's a greyhound trainer from Kells. She's with us also on the show tomorrow afternoon. And I pay a visit to the beautiful new Trader Lodge Alzheimer's Daycare Centre in Drogheda. It is just opened and it is simply wonderful. All coming up on tomorrow's Late Lunch. Eddie Caffrey is coming next with The Drive here on LMFM Radio. Have a lovely midweek evening yourselves and do come back and join us for Late Lunch from 1.30 Thursday. See you then. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cabin. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana. Guaranteed delivery, low-rate APR finance and 48-hour test drive. Exclusively at Blackstone Motors. Visit blackstonemotors.ie Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 